jaw-droppingly terrible, interminably dull. <laughs> I love the fact Cody got up this quote, one of my all-time favorite critics, the great Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times. And he is bang on. He's talking about Amsterdam, a film that just was a jaw-dropping bomb. Yes, I had to sit through it. We'll talk all about it. Plus, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, a little more pleasant film I got to see this weekend with my kids. Constance Wu, the great Javier Bardem. Sean Mendes, the singer, he's playing Lyle Lyle. Yes, that's singing Crocodile. Our old movie is The Princess Bride, 35th anniversary. It was on one of my many channels, IFC or something. Like, you know what? I haven't seen The Princess Bride in about 30 years. Neither had my man Chris Cody. Well, Chris is only 34, so you probably haven't seen it. I only watch when you're four, but point is, he and I had not yeah. seen it in a long time. <laughs> we both watched The Princess Bride. Mandy Patinkin, Carrie Elvis, My Name is Inigo Montoya, You Killed My Father, Prepare to Die, and The Real Great Treat scene. This Week, Great scene. Rags Time. Scott Rogowski is back, ladies and gentlemen. Rags is back. Rags Time with stories from Iceland and the film that Al Pacino made that many have crushed, and now some have actually praised. It's called Cruising from 1980, directed by Billy Friedkin. First and foremost... Princess Bride. Before we, we'll do the review in a second, but how did you find revisiting it? Was this a film you were nostalgic about, or like I said, you probably didn't remember much of it? No, I, this was a. I was very nostalgic with this. This is a film I remember growing up. Uh, the 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 grandfather talking to his son. Like it's one of those movies I literally just had flashes of memories of. Like I remember this scene, but I didn't really have any concept of like what the actual story was. So it, I, I love doing this with movies. By the way, it's one of my favorite ways to w watch an old movie that you grew up with. And you pick up on so many things, and I liked it. I love it. Um, first and foremost, thanks once again to Dan Stanzi. He had a great appearance recently on Cinephile. He just ran the Chicago Marathon. I guessed him, his time would be 332. He did even better. I think he did like 328. So that guy's freaking running. I mean, 26 yeah. miles in less than four hours. He and I both just devastated by the Blue Jays. 8-1 collapse in game two. Cody texted me at one point. It was 9-9. And like, what yeah. a game. I go, I came with a blue an 8-1 lead. You go, oh, I didn't know what happened. I just saw the score yeah. was 9-9. It seems like a good game. <laughs> I was like, wow, yeah. this must be wild. You're like, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely <laughs> painful. But that means I got more time for movies. So I was able to sneak out and watch Amsterdam. Uh, by the way, please go to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Give us some love. I noticed recently my boy Cody is very polarizing. I checked the reviews the other day. Either it's, I love Chris Cody, he's awesome, I love his chemistry with Adnan, or it's, God, he doesn't know anything about movies, uh, right. they should have had Roy. So I, I, right. ne I would never describe you as polarizing. If someone said, what's Cody like? I'm like, he's kind of a lot like me. He's a nice guy, he's funny, he's easy to work yeah. with. But I'm like, yeah. on, on, on this Apple podcast, polarizing yeah. Chris Cody. Well, this is a movie podcast, I get it. Um, you know, I, you are so great at articulating your thoughts on these things and I'm just kind of watching it and not really going that deep with a lot of it. So it's, I get that that could be annoying for somebody that is here for just like, they want an hour of nerding out on movies. Like I apologize, like, but I'm trying to, you know, we're trying to bring in a little bit wider net cause not everybody loves movies like that. So we're just, we're trying to have fun here guys. It does make me think of one of my old broadcasting teachers told me, he said, you never want to be someone that they go, eh, he's all right. You want people to be like, you love him or you hate him. Because you have to generate a strong reaction. So right now, my man Cody is generating that strong reaction. Yeah. And also, if you don't like it, shove it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. Before you shove it, subscribe, rate, and review. But Chris yeah. is right. He's going to be him. All right. Let's get into Amsterdam. I, I can't remember the last time Cody has a cast this good. Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Robert De Niro, Chris Rock, Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, Rami Malek. Timothy Oliphant, Zoe wow. Saldana, Taylor Swift. Like, holy Expensive. Al Alessandro Navola, exactly. Expensive is right. Let's start there. $80 million budget for the new film from David O. Russell. Want to take a guess what it grossed? That sounds like the payroll. That sounds like that would just be the payroll. Yeah, true. <laughs> that was the budget of the whole film. It grossed opening weekend. 
Maybe everyone's a baseball fan watching the playoffs. They didn't want to watch this movie. $5.3 million. Like, Oof. jaw-droppingly poor opening. Oof. My man Bob was promoting it on Fallon. I didn't see Bale or... I think Bale's on some magazine right now. I think I saw him somewhere on some magazine cover. But I didn't see a lot of the actors publicizing it. Maybe they knew it was a turkey. And they didn't want to be attached to this thing. But it's a mess. Let's get into it. In the 1930s, three friends witness a murder. They're framed for it and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. So apparently... Some of this, a lot of this is based in truth. I don't know, totally know. But I thought Roper's review was bang on. I mean, you watch it and you go, okay, all these movie stars, yeah, they're all talented. Okay, good costume design, period detail, production is taking place in the 30s. David O. Russell for filmmakers, uh, people who are unaware, he has a reputation for being a real obnoxious SOB. If you see some clips behind the scenes, he's like yelling at actors, telling them to do another take, do another take, which calls to mind, why in the hell would so many people want to work with this guy? Because he's known to be a very tough guy to work with. But... He's made some great movies. Silver Linings Playbook, one of the best movies of last year's decade. Love that film. Jennifer Lawrence won an Academy Award. Bradley Cooper, Bob De Niro, obviously. He made uh, The Fighter, which is a terrific film. Christian Bale won an Academy Award for that. Maybe that explains why Bale wants to make this one with him. Uh, he made Three Kings, really good war film with Ice Cube and George Clooney. So he's obviously an excellent filmmaker, but this is just a mess. And I think this is an example of a writer-director who's got Final Cut. He's got all this juice. And he ends up putting the story together, and it's just kind of all over the place. Again, you've got your movie stars, but this kind of feels like the movie Nine. I don't know if you ever saw it. I'm sure you didn't. Musical. But you got Daniel Day-Lewis, Penelope Cruz. Again, uh, Fergie, big stars. But you got to have a plot. And ultimately, you know, people come for the content. They want to go see a movie because of movie stars, sure. But if there's no content, if there's not a good plot, not a good story, you're really just letting down the audience. And like an hour into this movie, you kind of go, I don't know what the tone they're seeking for. Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it a historical epic? Is it a mystery? Is it silly? Is it serious? It's trying to be a lot of different things. And when you try to be a lot of different things, sometimes you end up being nothing. You just end up being a real mess. And it's a spectacular waste of a lot of talent. I mean, De Niro and Michael Shannon are two actors I love, and, and you wonder, like, how could they even accept the movie? I guess, again, you get blinded by working with David O. Russell. I think it's a fun film, but De Niro doesn't show up until the final 30 minutes. Mike Myers is one of the funniest people we know. He's always with Michael Shannon. They're kind of joined together as a couple of, like, undercover cops. They're neither interesting. Chris Rock, he's got such a big personality. That's kind of muted in the film, so... Honestly, it's just a mess from start to finish. It's almost like he's trying to solve everything in the world that ever happened from this movie. But 50% Rotten Tomatoes. Cody, this is what, a dud. What do you imagine that like these big stars do when they're seeing the final cut for the first time like with their people? And it's just like, and they and let's say they hate it. Do the big stars say, no, we got to rework this? Or are they just like, got to take an L? I think you got to take an L. Like, it depends at what point in the process. Like, if it's the first cut, you can definitely chime in and go, hey, I think we yeah. should rework this, rework that. But if it's, like, the final cut and you go, hey, the film's coming out next week, you yeah. guys are going to go on Fallon, Colbert, promote this. You're like, right. uh, I don't know about that. I'm sick. <laughs> I just got sick. I don't feel good. Yeah. You know, like, all of a sudden, good. De Niro can't do the hits. Yeah, Bob had to take one. Yeah, Bob had to take an L for the team. He was out there promoting it. But Amsterdam is not one to be remembered and a real disappointment from this film. Quickly, on Lyle Lyle Crocodile, feature film based in the children's book about a crocodile that lives in New York City. Anyone that knows this podcast knows that me and Ron McGill more like gorilla fans. If there's a gorilla in it, King Kong, I'm all in on. Crocodiles, yeah, they're not bad. Although with Cody's ties to Florida, I'm more of an alligator mm. kind of guy. But anyways, yeah, it's like not, alligators either, definitely either better than crocodiles. Both of them overrated, though. As a zoo animal, like, like you go, you, you see them in the water, they don't do anything, and then you move on. Exactly. Like, they're, they're cooler in animation. Like, if you watched... Uh, 
you know, movies with a crocodile. What's, there was that singing. If they have Sean Mendez voicing them. Correct. What to say? There's crocodiles. So the crocodile, <laughs> here's the real premise. Crocodile can't speak, but he can sing. So Javier Bardem plays the eccentric guy who first goes into a store and he hears a singing crocodile, goes back there to investigate, and there's a crocodile that sounds like Sean Mendez. He goes, oh my God. So they start singing together, singing and dancing together. They go up on Broadway. But one problem, the crocodile has stage fright. Ugh. So opening night, Bardem's snapping his fingers, he's singing, he's twirling, the crocodile, nothing comes out. Oh my God, we got stage fright. All right, you're out of here. He ends up living with Scott McNary and Constance Wu. Love Constance Wu, fresh off the boat. She's great. She's the stepmom to the young kid. The kid befriends the crocodile. They become friends. Okay, how do we resuscitate the crocodile's career? Make some so money on this is, thing. How old is Lyle? It's a great question. They never mention his age. I would think he's, <laughs> I'm going to say 10 to 12. Okay. I, have, I don't know. How is your knowledge on crocodiles? Are they like dogs? Like 10 is like 100? I have no idea on these I, things. I have no clue. I think they live a good amount of years. I think alligators and crocodiles, I believe, can live 30 or 40 years. I'm, I'm going to look that up while okay, we're Okay, we'll here. look it up on the fly. If yeah. not, we'll get Ron McGill to fact check us. But listen, it's a sweet little film. Uh, I'm going to give Amsterdam one and a half Maple Leafs. I'll give Lyle Lyle Crocodile two and a half Maple Leafs. I thought it was a fun, sweet kids film. Kyle Marsh of the New York Times says Lyle has a brisk, whimsical momentum that is utterly infectious in the early going, then it stops dead. I wouldn't go quite that far. I thought we set the fairly same element the entire time. Richard Brody of New Yorker, good cheer and exuberant humor enliven this clever live-action musical adaptation of Bernard Weber's classic children's book series. And Katie Walsh of Tribune News Service, in moments, Lyle Lyle Crocodile is a warm and whimsical family adventure comedy, but at other times, it's a hallucinatory fever dream. Both are fine options, but the purgatory in between these tones is too strange to actually work. Again, I like the film. When your daughter gets older, I think you guys will enjoy La La Crocodile. That's where I, 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 uh, I nailed it on alligators. 30 to 50 years, life expectancy. Nice. And uh, cro Crocodile is actually older, 60 to 70. Oh, that's great. Okay, so I'm going to say this crocodile one in the baby. He's maybe a couple years old. He's probably 15, 20 by the time we see him when he's older. So. Let's do our old movie before we get to Scott Rogowski. He was talking about an old movie called Cruising, but The Princess Bride. While homesick in bed, a young boy's grandfather reads him the story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles, enemies, and allies in his quest to be reunited with his true love. Big star here, and they've got stars. Carrie Alwis, Robin Wright, Christopher Guest, Mandy Patinkin, Wallace Shawn, Billy Crystal, Peter Falk, Fred Savage, Carol Kane. The star is William Goldman, one of the great screenwriters of all time. It's a terrific script. It's funny. It's whimsical. He also wrote Misery. He wrote Butch Casting the Sundance Kid. So he's obviously a very well-known screenwriter. Director Rob Reiner, one of our favorites. Again, formerly a hero of Cinephile. We love Rob when Harry met Sally. Uh, this is when he had that really good run there in the late 80s. Uh, Stand By Me as well. He was a really prominent director. He did A Few Good Men as well. So I'm with Chris. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I remember it was a fantasy. I remember it was funny. I remember it was charming. And I thought it was a good film overall. It feels a little dated at times, but I, I really did like the script, particularly As You Wish. The whole refrain of Carrie Elwes when he says, I love you, he says, As You Wish. And the film later ends with Peter Falk, the grandfather, saying, As You Wish. I've heard people say it to your point, like, you have these quotes, I'm like, oh yeah, As You Wish, that is pretty famous in The Princess Bride. It I famously remember Mandy Patinkin, who I love, of course, Homeland, but playing a Spanish guy saying, my name is Inigo Montoya, yes. you killed my father. Prepared. That prepared was a very common refrain. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was a sweet film. What did you think of it? As You Wish is the quickest anybody's ever fallen in love in a movie. That scene, like, they look at each other twice and they just are in love. Uh, I love the scene where Andre the Giant is pulling three people up a mountain and he's being heckled while doing it. He's like, you worthless. <laughs> he's just like lifting him up. And then like 10 minutes later in the movie, he can't wrestle one of the guys. 
he, yes. he carries three people up a mountain, and then and, and ten minutes later, he can't even beat one of them in a wrestling match. Andre the Giant, fantastic. You're right. That oh. doesn't make sense. But just the voice of Andre the Giant. Like as a as a wrestling fan, you never get to hear his voice. I remember as a kid going, "That's what he sounds like. That's Andre Rusimov." <laughs> I just I I was cracking up at that scene. Who's that actor's name? The guy, like the little guy, the, the ball. Oh, Wallace guy. Shawn, I love the ball guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that guy going up the mountain, like heckling Andre the Giant as this guy's like carrying you up a mountain. I just I can't get over that. I was I was cracking up watching that scene. How about Wallace Shawn when he switches the cups around? He's like, ha, I yes. got you, but then it's the wrong cup, and that's it. He's done. I wanted more of him. I thought he was great in the way. Wallace Shawn's one of those funny, yeah, and- clever, interesting actors. And probably the biggest reason I wanted to watch, particularly for Cody, is Billy Crystal's in it. And as you texted me, now this is a role for Billy Crystal. He shows up maybe two or three minutes, heavy makeup, ugly, you know, big ears and stuff. But he was great. Like, I remember watching the film going, I love Billy Crystal in this movie. Oh, I mean, it's just a perfect role. Like, old, what are you talking about? Like, he's, like, yelling with his wife or whatever. (laughs) They're like, what do you mean? And he's got a few just, like jokes that wouldn't fit this time it's like all of a sudden he turns into billy crystal a few times in the like you know what i mean he's he's playing the character of an old man in a forest and all of a sudden he's billy crystal talking to him like 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 he would in new york like yeah. you know what i mean like i love that he just turned into Br- billy crystal a few times yeah he said why'd you say that name you promised you'd never say that name again what humperdinck 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 i'm not listening Turns out your friend is mostly dead. See, mostly dead is still slightly alive. You're right. Yeah. He's playing like that Borscht Belt Jewish comedian. Yeah. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll yeah. work? Like he's giving those yeah. little one-liners to himself. That's not what he said. He distinctly said to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Billy Crystal, <laughs> the crazy hair like Christopher Lloyd. Bye-bye. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> What do you think of Prince Humperdinck? Like, how about that name? What a terrible life for, uh, like, like they, he can just choose any woman and she has to marry him. That is definitely gender politics sitting back a ways when you think of it in those terms. Terrible. And the white, and that, who, this guy, when Wesley, like, gets, like, electrocuted and then that one creepy guy with, like, the white makeup everywhere, that, that is a top-tier, all-time creepy character in a movie. The way he's, like, like breathing while he's, like, cleaning him off his, like, forehead. All-time creepy. It definitely was. All right. Any other thoughts on The Princess Bride? No, I mean, it was good. I, I, I really, I like, like I said earlier, I like watching movies from my childhood that I'm like, it's almost like I'm watching them for the first time, like genuinely understanding them. So it's always cool to do that. 100%. Uh, the reviews, Peter Bradshaw of Guardian, it's an adventure which reaches back to Golden Age Hollywood and the Devil May Care world of Douglas Fairbanks or Tyrone Power playing Zorro or Errol Flynn playing Robin. That's a good reference. Errol Flynn playing Robin. Google that and look up Carrie Elwes' face. He plays the lead as Wesley. That's a pretty good, that's a really good call by Peter Bradshaw. And the As You Wish by the grandpa at the end and when he walks out is a Goosebumps ending. Completely agree. Peter Falk, Columbo. I love Peter Travis's review, Peel Magazine. Patinkin's performance is especially touching. He can say, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And make you laugh, cry, and cheer at the same time. The movie Two Hours of Pure Enchantment has the same effect. Check out The Princess Bride. Uh, whenever, whatever streaming service we found. Where did you find it? I found it on one of my cable channels, but you can flick it yeah, up somewhere. Yeah, it was, it was somewhere on my, on my TV for free. Go find The Princess Bride and quicksand, enjoy it now. Though. Why don't we use quicksand anymore in movies? It's, it's a good, good point. device. Quicksand used to be, though, it was an easy way to kill someone. No, 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 you get that shot. No, Grab the, the hand going, the hand yeah. disappearing. The quicksand needs to make a comeback. Mm-hmm. That might be the title of this one. Otherwise, it's rags time. You're going to love this.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, as promised, Rags Time is back in session. Scott Rogowski is back with us, and he is after, he's coming back after a phenomenal trip. He went to Iceland. Now, I Yeah, we got the Rags Time going, a little old school ragtime music. Now, I, I publicly criticized the whole idea of going to Iceland, who would go to Iceland, et cetera, and Rags put me in my place. And he did so, not with words, but actions speak louder than words. He posted an image, which completely changed my mind on Iceland, and that image is of a mosque. He goes, look, just for you, A.V. Hunsecker, there's a mosque in Iceland. I go, wow, my people actually travel. I was floored by this. In a country of 350,000 people, the city of Reykjavik, maybe 100, 150,000, enough to support, enough Muslim community to support a grand mosque, like a gigantic build. This is not some, you know, above a, you know, drugstore kind of thing. Like this is this. That was a majestic mosque, an ideal mosque. And it reminded me of that great Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> little sketch. There is no dream mosque, but that's for another episode. I think we could uh, we'll save it for next Ramadan. But how about the fact? Listen, I love the fact you actually listen to the podcast. We have contributors on here like Ben Lyons comes on Lyons Den. I don't think he's ever listened to the podcast. You actually <laughs> regularly listen. You text me stuff. Like, I can't let Cody shit the bed in that quiz. Like, you're, you're an avid listener. Like, you know what's going on here. Yeah, I'm staying up to date. I, 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 have, I only have like three or four podcasts I listen to. So the fact that you're in the rotation, and, and that is a huge, yes. huge honor. Because as we know, our, our time is so fragmented these days. You can't, you know, you can't listen to every podcast in the world. You know, I prefer if Adnan weren't on, if it was just Cody. I think just... <laughs> Just Cody holding this down would be a lot of. I think I think you have the knowledge to host a cinephile podcast on your own. Adnan just I don't know he's a little distracting to be yeah. honest. It's <laughs> a fair word for it. It's pretty accurate. But Iceland, how about that? Cody nailed it. Iceland is actually more greener than you would think, and Greenland is a lot more icy than one would think. And as That's Bill right. Pino once said, when it's icy, it's dicey. Like I'm telling you, this place blew my mind. I've never been to a country where you know it's like you you land and and. and you're not sure if you took off, you know, past the atmosphere and land on a different planet because you're surrounded by volcanoes and geysers and geothermal activity. There, there are baths everywhere, Adnan. They love taking baths in Iceland. Hot geothermal baths. What kind of it's the best culture in the world. Everyone's just lounging in these hot tubs. I mean, I'm telling you, it's an undiscovered gem. You got to check it out, especially if you're on the East Coast. I mean, from the West Coast, it's a schlep. The West Coast, usually you go to Hawaii to get the volcanic activity. I haven't been to Hawaii yet. But Iceland, I got that. So Hawaii's next. I'm going to knock off all the volcanic islands. How are the women? Icelandic women? How are we looking? Look, I mean, they they have a reputation for being some of the most beautiful in the world. And I had a, a dinner with an Icelandic friend of mine, a woman, and she told me the story and I couldn't believe it. Maybe it's apocryphal. Maybe it's mythological. But she said it's because of the Vikings. It all goes back to the Vikings, right? They came from Norway. They found Iceland. They populated Iceland. From there, they actually discovered America. Leif Erikson, right? For, for the very first... That was way before Columbus. And they also were going all down the coast of Europe. So they went to Scotland and Ireland and they would kidnap all the most beautiful women they could find in these places. So they brought them back to Iceland, bred with them. And that is why they say in Iceland, 
That's why the women are so beautiful and the men are eh, the kind of. Yeah, the guys are pretty ugly. That's what yeah. they have noticed, right? Yeah. Because they took all the best pr princesses from you know, Ireland and Scotland and, and, and all the European coast and brought them back. And, 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 and that's why actually there's a lot of similarity between the, the looks of, I think, of, this, of the northern European, those Scots and Irish and the Icelandic. They're still there. You can tell by the features. There are a lot of redheads and things like that. So, yeah, it's interesting. How was the food? That's why I was on a trip. I go, the how food? was Icelandic food? I have no idea. Bison burgers? This place, what do we got? This place is bizarre. So they tout all their beautiful wildlife, their, their, their fauna. You've got the exotic puffin bird. Okay. You've got minky whales, a lot of whales swimming in the bays. You got these beautiful Icelandic horses, which are unique to the island. They have these long manes. They, 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 they look like, you know, Johnny Depp circa 92. I mean, it's beautiful. But and then they eat these animals. They eat them all. Oh, you can eat the puffin. You can eat the, the whale. You can eat these, these horses. They have horse burgers, horse meat. It's wild. It's like you're going to eat up all your the reason people come to visit your country. You're going to go bankrupt, which they already did back in the 80s. So maybe not the best uh, economic foresight. Horse burgers. Yeah, they got horse meat. I, I did try reindeer. I had some cured reindeer which was a little chewy, you know, I guess it's similar to venison. Gamey. Uh, I didn't go for the, yeah, a little gamey. But, uh, you know, look, great, great fish, Arctic char, four types of Arctic char on the island. Love a good Arctic char. <laughs> love a good char. Yeah, the, the one thing I was stunned by, and I love the fact you're posting pictures and really creating a vivid, visceral experience. I was not expecting a phallic museum. The yes, largest the museum, museum dedicated to penises in the world is there. And I knew I knew you'd love this oh, one, Adnan. Now Adnan's in. There's 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 the penis museum. I did not go. I'm saving it for marriage. <laughs> I'm gonna come back with my wife to explore that one. But uh, there's also a shark museum because you know they eat shark too, of course. Love. And that. what's really and if you go if you go all the way to the northeast part, there's a small town that has a shark penis museum, and that's really hidden. That's exclusively devoted to the shark penises, but it's it's it's, uh, it's a wild place, man. They they have a lot of fun. I think they they're kind of like their whole attitude is we're stuck here, you know. We're maybe the smallest country and the one of the smallest countries in the world. We're, but we have beautiful nature. We've got beautiful women. We're just gonna enjoy it, live it up. I mean, they're Saturday nights. They go hard on Saturday nights. They don't get to the bars till one a.m. They don't leave till the next day. And everyone's puking on the streets. Everyone's eating hot dogs at 4 a.m. It's like everyone's in college. And last one, how many Jews are there? You came back. You did Yom Kippur here in America, but I couldn't <laughs> imagine Yom Kippur in Iceland. Yeah, you're hard to find a minion in Iceland. I uh, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't actually uh, investigate the Jewish community so much. I'm imagining quite few. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's so crazy about this Kanye West thing. Kanye West has twice as many followers as there are Jews in the world. It's like harder. It's sometimes you forget that there are only 15 million Jews in the entire world. Kanye's got 30 million followers. So yeah, they're not too many in Iceland. They're, they're concentrated more, uh, more closer to Secaucus, I'd say. Isn't it? <laughs> and I'm Secaucus. coming to us from our, our old office in here. Me and Rags, by the way, and I, I have a bunch of like. You there know, are more you Jews in that. the building, in the MLB building right now, than there are in the entire country of Iceland. <laughs> well, you're not kidding. We had an NHL Network <laughs> staff meeting yesterday, and just because I noticed these things, I looked around. And I go, "There's 19 white men in here. There's one woman, and then there's me." And I looked even closer and I go, of the 19 white men, I think 15 are Jews. Like I'm there looking, I go, go Sanford Appel, yep, Todd Werwa, I got a Bur Adelberg, yep, he's Jewish. My God, this is incredible. Like, we could have a Seder in here. I, 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 I don't fit. <laughs> that, 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 that's probably accurate. Yeah, more, I'd say more, more Jews in the, in the building than there are in the country of Iceland. <laughs> well, let's get to the fact that I was so giddy to have you on to rekindle Rags time. I happened oh, yeah. to stumble oh, upon a showing of cruising. 
The yeah. Al Pacino film from 1980, the great director Billy Friedkin, who had an unreal run when you look at The Exorcist and The French Connection and Sorcerer. And then years later, he makes Cruising. Now, his backstory, before me and Rags dive in, Cruising was a massive bomb. Film comes out in 1980. Again, Friedkin Pacino, people hated it. Gay community picketed against it, said it was homophobic. It was a horrible representation of the gay community. The film got filleted. And yet now there's been this revisionist history. Quentin Tarantino Rags did a play on Broadway. Again, primarily gay cast and crew. He showed them Cruising. They loved it. The Safdie brothers think it's a brilliant film. You see some of these younger filmmakers, they go, dude, Cruising was ahead of its time. So I said, let me go back and watch it. And I want to start this conversation by simply saying this. Ever been porked? Or had a man smoke your pole? That's the... <laughs> that's that's of the course. first scene of Pacino walking in. 15 minutes into this movie, the late, great Paul Servino, who's always remembered oh, as Paulie yeah. and Goodfellas, he's playing the cop who's bringing an undercover police officer, Al Pacino. Al Pacino can do a lot of things. He does not look like a Steve Burns, but his character's name is Steve Burns. Steve walks in, and the first thing he says to him, <laughs> Steve Burns walks in, Pacino goes, they told me that there was some special assignment that I was right for it. And Captain Edelson says, let me ask you something. Ever had your cock sucked by a man? <laughs> and Steve goes, a man? No. Well, I, uh, ever been porked? Or had a man smoke your pole? <laughs> Pacino starts laughing. Goes, you got to be kidding me. He's like, yeah, you're kidding me. <laughs> this is the undercover silent rags that he wants this, background information on. This movie was made for you. And Billy Freakin', he didn't know at the time when he made this night 40, over 40 years ago, but he said, there's going to be this, 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 this young Pakistani <laughs> guy from Toronto, of all places, who's going to be so obsessed with the perverse and the profane and the obscene in movies. And he's going to love movies, so he's going to absolutely love mine. This movie is for Adnan Burke, and he dedicated... You were probably born around this time this film was made. You're right, this, 78. This was your... This was your. Uh, yeah, he was writing this with you in mind, Adnan. This was crazy. I mean, look, I, I watched it on a Friday night, Home Alone, the best way to do it. Friday night in Los it, Angeles, Scott Rakowski is dialing yeah. up... Crap, nothing nothing better to do. I mean, I will say this. I almost feel like I need to watch it again because yes. it was it was yes. it was confusing. It's a confusing movie and I think some of the critics agree. Look, it has less than 50% on Rotten Tomatoes and the yeah. both the audience and critics. Even the when I rented it from Amazon, you made me pay for this thing, Adnan. It had like <laughs> one and a half stars. I'm like, what am I getting into? I think a lot of that is is yes, you could say a lot for the themes being very ahead of its time, just even showcasing the gay community whether I don't know if the New York City gay community in 1980 was exclusively leather daddies, but but it makes it seem like there are tens of thousands of them and they're all into this leather S&M biker thing. I, I assume that was a, 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 a subgenre of the scene. But look, I wasn't there. I'm, I'm not in that community myself. I can't speak to the historical accuracy, but I can't imagine that every bar Every gay bar in New York City was packed to the gills every night of the week with hundreds of leather clad, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what to call that. The, the biker daddy thing, the bears. Yeah, it's probably not an accurate portrayal. But that being said, the fact that he did choose to even highlight a gay community and the police brutality, which I would argue is more ahead of its time. The fact that there is a ton of homophobia in the police force and a ton of, you know, I mean, people getting beat up and frankly killed and sexually assaulted that part was ahead of its time but it, it was a little it's hard to follow i mean it, like you said pacino star of the film he doesn't show up till like 10 minutes in i'm right. thinking the, the first guy say, oh that's pacino no wait kind of looks like everyone sort of looks the same in this movie too everyone kind of <laughs> looks they look like pacino who looked like john torturo in this in this movie he's rocking the torturo fro i yeah. was thrown off by that but everyone's kind of either got a mustache 
or, you know, they're, they're all just like jacked white guys with those tight froze and mustaches. And it was hard to follow the killers from the victims, from the police officers. I couldn't tell at some point. I'm like, wait a minute, that gay guy sucking the other guy off in the bar. That's a cop, right? I saw I could have sworn I saw him in the first scene. And that part was confused. So I might have to watch it again now that I've seen all the characters in play. Let me give you the plot. For those that are yeah, right, in the Greenwich it. Village of New York, a maniac kills homosexual guys, choosing young men in their 30s, tall and black-haired. As Agent Steve Burns resembles the perfect victim, he's tasked to infiltrate the sadomasochistic environment where he can probably meet the murderer. When a professor gets killed, Steve has finally a trace to follow. And to Rags' point, I think in some ways, and again, I don't think it's a good movie, but the best part of the movie or what makes it unique is that first 40 minutes. Because you're right. I, I couldn't imagine. 1980, you're making a movie about the gay community. And like it's, it feels like a documentary. You're going to bars. Everyone's wearing leather. Everyone's hairy and bearded mustache. Let's see where the one guy just grabs Pacino's nipples. Like even for Al to do that role, like he's an Academy Award winning actor. He's coming off of Injustice for All. He got nominated for an Oscar. It's three years before Scarface. He was the actor in the 70s, Dog Afternoon, The Godfather, Serpico. For him to make this movie, like pretty courageous that Al even took the role. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, he, he, was, he was a star by then, right? I mean, he, he, had, he had definitely, you know, uh, uh, show, shown the world what he can do. And I, I, look, from what I know about Pacino, he definitely is the kind of guy who likes to stretch his roles, right? He likes to challenge himself. So I'm sure he looked at this as a way to, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be extreme. I'm going to get into this, this character. Um, you know, again, the, I, I want to know about the extras, frankly. I want to know about the AD. The AD who has to wrangle the extras for these scenes, the background actors. That, I want to see the documentary on that. I mean, are these, were these real members of the SM community, the leather community? Were these just all guys like, hey, look, I got a gig. And now I have to mime a, mime a blow job behind Al Pacino. <laughs> like, that, that, that part is, is uh, and also just the amount, the costume designer. There's more leather in this movie than the Rawlings factory. <laughs> <laughs> Ozzy Smith never flashed this much leather, Adnan. The whole country's leather production had to be like <laughs> switched over to, to finance and fuel the costume designing of this film. I mean, some of the dialogue is unreal. I, I, Stuart Richards at one point says, how big are you? And Steve Burns, you know, his character responds, party size. But I know you found this fascinating, as did I. There's <laughs> one scene. Sprinkle in these quotes. You're just going <laughs> to sprinkle in random quotes. How about this one, added? Hips or lips? You like that one too, don't you? You freak. This you was, little perv. This is Powers Booth. <laughs> Powers Booth plays a hanky salesman. And he's explaining to Pacino the etiquette. Again, this is fascinating. If you're like, you know, immersed in the mafia, well, how does this whole thing work? Like, how does the gay SM community? He says this, the blue hanky means blowjob. You have one hanging out of your left man's pocket means you want a blowjob. A blue in your right rear pocket means you give him. The green hanky in your right rear pocket means you're a hustler. The green hanky in your left rear means you're looking to buy. My personal favorite, the yellow hanky in your left rear pocket means you give golden showers. The yellow in the right means you receive gold. The red hanky in your left rear pocket means you give SM. Like, think of the amount of detail here with regards to hankies. There's going to be a quiz on this later, kids. I hope you're listening. Uh, I'm so, this was on my SATs, actually, that, that whole thing. I don't know what I, I, I went to school in New York, so this was part of my curriculum. And then the, the, the line of the movie to me, it's, it's, you're talking about you're setting it up right here. Yes, I love the smoke and pole and all that. But Powers Booth explains the hankies. So what is uh, what does Al Pacino do as Steve Burns? He gets a yellow hanky, throws in his pocket, goes to the bar. Another guy with a yellow hanky comes over to him and uh, says, uh, what does he say? And then so you into water sports. <laughs> and what does Steve Burns say? I like to watch. And then what does the other guy say? 
Well, if you like to watch, take that Hank out of your pocket, asshole. <laughs> and my first thought is, would an asshole be a term of endearment in this community? Because it's so central to the pleasure. I like water sports. <laughs> water sports. So good. I just like to watch. He was so pissed at Ned. Take it out of your... <laughs> he finally point, found they... someone. He finally right. found a water sport enthusiast, a fellow, a fellow right. golden shower lover. And to your point with the confusion over the plot. So I think the first step to me is at least interesting. It's showing a culture that you were clearly not exposed to in 1980. But then it kind of becomes like one of these generic serial killer things. Okay, I think that guy's the killer. He has repressed emotions. He's talking to his dead father. Like, okay, now it feels like it's going a certain direction. What was really scathingly indicted by the critics of the time, and this is where I want to see what your reaction was, is the ending. So they think they get the killer. Oh, by the way, hang on. We'll get to this again. The interrogation scene where Pacino is with a guy that might be the killer. They end up bursting in there, and Al and the guy are about to get it on. They end up interrogating Pacino. Of course, the cops all know he's an undercover cop. The other guy does not know who he's with. And at one point, in opens the door, and Jim Brown seems to walk out. <laughs> a big, black, muscular cowboy wearing nothing but a jock strap and a cowboy hat walks up, and he slugs Pacino. Like, what the what hell was that? On? What was that? The explanation is, so then later on, Cody, Pacino walks out, because obviously he's not the killer, and he sees the guy and goes, hey, you really, you really hit me hard. Grabs the cowboy hat, throws it out the window. But he's pissed. Apparently, the research is that in, when interrogating cops, they go, sometimes we'd have people rough up the suspects, and we would do so as such an unusual thing that nobody would ever believe it. So if somebody <laughs> said, no, a muscular black guy came out wearing a cowboy hat and a jock strap, and he slapped me, they go, obviously that didn't happen. You're making this up. So that's rooted somehow in, in truth. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. that. Again, you know, I guess freaking look, he's a good writer. He, 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 he goes in depth on the subject. So he must have gone deep on the research here. But that just threw me off. I, you know, again, I don't know what the hell that was about. A lot, a, a lot of scenes like that were just very confusing to me. We um, get to the ending. So the ending is, Cody, they find the guy they think is a killer, whatever. Al thanks Paul Servino's character. Hey, thanks for going out for me. The last scene he goes to his girlfriend, who at this point, they're kind of estranged because he's been so immersed in this world. And he goes, I want to tell you everything. She goes, okay. So he goes in the shower, whatever. She comes out, and she sees, like, the hat he wears. Like, you know, the leather S&M hat. She's like, oh, what's this hat all about? And he sees other paraphernalia. And the last shot is of Pacino looking at himself in the mirror. And then he goes out, and there's, like, a cityscape, and that's it. So people were so confused. They go, wait, is he actually the killer? Like, is that last shot meant to be like, oh, actually, I've been killing people? Or is it undercover cop? I've gotten in so deep. I'm now one of them. I'm now a gay S&M practitioner. I can't go yeah. back to my old life. Rags, how did you interpret that ending, which is very enigmatic? And Pacino himself said, I didn't know what the hell. Like, I watched the movie and I go, I don't understand what this ending means. Like, now you completely <laughs> script the whole movie. Yeah, and then there, you're forgetting the part about, the, you know, there's another character in this movie who's, who's Pacino's roommate, who's an, another gay young man who's a playwright. You know, he's a nice guy, and he's trying to make it in, in, the, in the playwriting community. Not doesn't seem like he's part of that S&M community. And then the very last, one of the last scenes is he ends up dead. Yeah, the the his old roommate. So that's like, wait a minute, right? So that's did Pacino kill his roommate, or maybe it was his jealous lover that they talked about? So it, there's, it, yeah, and and there is. I read about this later. I guess it was in, it purposely made to be confusing. You want to question as an audience member, are there multiple killers? And in fact, freaking, I think cast different people as the killer you see on screen. You never really see his face. It's always obscured by shadows or the sunglasses. But there are different people playing this guy throughout the movie and different voices when you hear the guy's voice right. ADR'd into the film. So I think this is all intentional is to say, 
you know, it, it's such a, you know, it, it's it's a chaotic world. It's it's everything's done in secrecy. Maybe it's a comment on just being the gay community itself. There's really it wasn't a lot of transparency. No one really knows who anybody is. And then Pacino's character, who not? Did he end up you know, getting so deep that he I, I just don't see that as an explanation that he would start killing people. Like, that Correct. doesn't seem like a rational. The guy seemed like he wanted to be a career cop and he was on his way. He took the assignment to move to move up in the ranks. I don't know why he would uh, he would start. You know, he, he seemed like the one moral center of the movie. Pacino's character. But do you well, think that at that point he's gone in too deep? He's now bisexual. I mean, that that, that the sexuality part could be into it. You know, that, that's I don't know. I mean, again, it's the repression of the era. And look, the cop, the first cops that we see in the movie who yeah. are actually what are they? They arrest these streetwalkers, these gay drag guys, yeah. and then force them to blow them oh. in the cop car. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's Awful clearly scene. the cops are clearly being homophobic, but also enjoying a homo homoerotic homosexual activity themselves. And I think there's a lot of that. I mean, if you truly hate like if you really hate gay people, like, what, you ask yourself, why do I hate gay people? What is there possibly to hate about someone who's has sex differently than you other than, oh, I'm jealous. I want to have sex that way, but I can't because society tells me I show my dad says I can't or right. the other cops say I can't. So then that that is. I truly believe that all these homophobes are truly gay themselves or want to be gay themselves. Yeah. So, that, yeah, I think there's a lot of that in the police force. And maybe maybe some of that rubbed off on Pacino in the sense that, well, I'm not really allowed to be openly gay or bisexual. But now that I've been in that community, I've met some people. I met this roommate who seems like a nice guy. Hey, they're nice gay people out there. They're just normal people just like me. And he got into the community. Maybe maybe that rubbed off on him. Here's Billy Freakin on the movie. Cruising came up before the AIDS virus, but at a time that the gay community had made enormous strides. There had been the Stonewall riots a couple of years before. This was not the best foot forward for the gay rights movement, but I never intended the film to be critical of gays. I just thought the S&M world would make a good backdrop for a murder mystery, but I did not in any way mean for it to reflect the gay lifestyle. I understood at the time that people who were trying to achieve gay rights were not going to preach the tough picture. It's still very tough, very hard-edged and ambiguous. You clash with the star of the film, Al Pacino. Have you reconciled? I have not seen him a lot. We never moved in the same circles. I want Richard Gere for the role. Having seen the film at special screenings, I've come to realize Pacino is still pretty damn effective in it, but he gave me a rough time for reasons other than the normal actor-director relationship. He wasn't on time and often didn't know what we were doing on a particular day. Wow. And another interview, which is freaking on camera, somebody asked him a question. He goes, I don't give a flying fuck what Al Pacino thinks. He goes, do you understand me? Billy Friedkin, not a Pacino fan at all this film. Wow. That's interesting. I didn't realize that there was that, that yeah, sort of wild. backstory to it. And then they throw him under the... Yeah, I want actually Richard Gere. Uh, actually... Well, you, you couldn't get Richard Gere in 98, but you could get Pacino. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, I, I want to just call Paul Servino. You mentioned him earlier. Yeah. And yes, he plays the gangsters. But look, he's playing the cop. He's playing the captain. And I love that he's a two way actor like a Jim Thorpe. You know, he could play both sides of the field. He's a Bronco Nagurski of acting. Yes. Good <laughs> both sides of the law. Both sides of the law. And then and right. Servino, look, he was probably what, 40, 41 when he shot this thing. Looking horrible. You're 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 I mean, this is a man who just did not age well. And I think we need to bring that into the lexicon now as an insult. Jesus, look, have you, have you seen, uh, have you seen, uh, well, I'm not going to use you as an example because you're looking good now. Man. I appreciate it. But geez, have you seen Cody? He's, at, he's aging like Paul Servino. Yeah. Right? <laughs> 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 you're older than Servino was when that movie was made. Think about that, Anand. Think about That's Servino. Incredible. I'm looking it up. He was born in 39. 39. So he's like yeah, 41, he's 40 when they or maybe 40 when they shot it. But I yeah. love that. If you say this, you're aging like Paul aging Servino. like Paul Servino. That we need to bring that into the into the, the vocabulary. All right. Any closing thoughts on cruising? Would you recommend this at all on any level to anybody you know? I think you're better off seeing Jungle Cruise or The Cruise. Go maybe maybe going on a going cruise. Going on a cruise. I don't know. What are the what are the other are pretty gross. what are the other cruise movies? 
Anything with Tom Cruise? No, no, I was going to say nothing with Tom Cruise. Screw that guy. I want to see a remake. Look, we saw the the Maverick sequel. How about a sequel to Cruising 2, Electric Boogaloo, with Tom Cruise in the Pacino role? Now now he's become the captain. He takes over Sorvino's role. Yeah. Let's cast. Let's 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 work this out. And what's cruising to look like now? But Steve Burns is captain all these years later. Now yes. the gay community is a little different yeah. these days, but maybe uh, I don't know. There's I love a, Pacino in the Servino role. How about Bobby Cannavale in the Pacino role? So he's like Bobby Steve Cannavale. Burns. I love Bobby Cannavale. <laughs> you love Bobby. I think he's but, now, but now they have to infiltrate the, the Chelsea brunch scene. That's and there's a murder going around and all these high end brunch spots, which is now I guess. the. <laughs> That's a little lead. The stakes are a little, you know, lower, maybe not as dark and, and, and leathery, but right. there could be something there. I love it. I just love it. Would you rather do 24 straight hours of just watching cruising that movie on a loop or go to dinner with Tom Cruise? 24 hours of cruising. That's an easy one. I'll, I'll spot different things. The cinematography, the lighting. I'll be texting rags, all the lines again, talking about water sports. The lines That's are great. great. The lines are great. Look, it's it's it wasn't the worst thing I've seen. It was a fun little watch. Definitely, definitely got a, a look at a at a community that wasn't too well known about. But it was a lot. It was a lot. It was like a horror film. It was really it was like a horror film. I needed to decompress. I had to watch Shakes the Clown just to shake it all off. Well, how about this? How about that one shot? You see a guy just being pinned down. And then you see the guy, he's got his entire forearm is just like Vaseline up. Yeah. Like they, they couldn't actually show penetration, but they showed fisting. I said, this is a yeah. 1980 movie and you're showing fisting. Like in the middle of a club. Like, I mean, that's it's just, were these, I, I would love to have, you know, you're having me on a top of this movie. You really should have maybe an older gay gentleman who was around in New York City in that time who could speak to the veracity George of this Takai. Thing. George Takai maybe might know. But you know what? What was that going on back then in these clubs in the meatpacking? Like, if it was, holy moly, that that was a what a time to be alive. I mean, <laughs> I'd love to see some of that these days. Let's bring let's bring that party scene back. Fisting in the middle of the dance floor. Oh, Doug Fister <laughs> would definitely love that. <laughs> uh, we love Scott Rogowski. Check him out on Twitter and Instagram. Rex, tell everybody about the store. Cody, he's got an unbelievable store. Ben Lyons went there. That's I want right. everybody in the LA area to go check it out. If you're in L.A., come by. I mentioned mentioned Cinephile. I'll give, I'll give you 20 percent on. You have to pay more. 20 percent more. <laughs> no, 2525 Main Street, Santa Monica, right in the heart of Ocean Park. I'm there Wednesdays through Sundays generally. And uh, it's a good time. I got a lot, ton of vintage sports gear. And, and every football team you root for, every p- postseason baseball team. I got them right now. My poor Mets. I'm, I'm discounting oh. the Mets gear. 50 percent off all the Mets stuff. My God. Wait till next year. <laughs> DeGrom could be, exactly, Tug McGraw. DeGrom could be done with the Mets. How about Buck Showalter asking for the check of Musgrove? He's shiny ears in the sixth inning. Yeah, not a great look. Not a great look. Musgrove, man, one hitting the Mets. He's caught. Damn, that was rough. By the way, I want everyone to go back in the archives. As great as Rags was, and this was another insane performance, you got to listen to me and him talk about the film Hardcore. In fact, that's a pretty good duel. It's, a good, it's a good combo. I, I would say a good double feature. Hardcore and cruising. <laughs> I mean, there's some scenes that are pretty similar. He's the screaming. I remember the... <laughs> what, yeah, with Pacino's covering his eyes. Ah! Yeah, the, 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 the existential screams are great. Incredible scene. <laughs> Paul Schmader's hardcore. George C. Scott is watching Turn the film. Off. Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Never turn off Cinephile. Rags for the best. Thank you, buddy. Love you, man. This is great.
All right, thanks once again to Scott Rogowski. He's the best. Check out Rags. Go check out his store in L.A. Follow him on Instagram and social media. Thank you, as always, to everyone checking out the podcast. we got lots of great guests coming up. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, next week, we're going to have a couple of stars from Spy Kids. That's right. They wrote a book, children's book. They've got a huge social media following. We're, we're talking Spy Kids. It's going to be pretty good stuff. We're going to pander to a young audience. We are. We are pandering. 100%. We're like, I don't know. <laughs> they have 1.6 million Instagram followers. Great. We're looking to get Cinephile younger, and we are pandering. Uh, we also are going to have author uh, Sean Levy. He wrote an awesome book, uh, Last Castle on Sunset, uh, which Mike Ryan had recommended to me. It's an awesome book. It's a great read. He's going to be with us as well. In a couple weeks, Jeremy Strong, uh, Emmy Award-winning actor of Succession. He won Best Actor. He's got a great film with James Gray. That's coming out. And a few weeks from now, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. We're talking to the writer and director of that film all about Weird Al. Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al. It's a trip. As always, thank you for supporting Cinephile. Subscribe, rate, and review. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.